Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Now, the embattled former water and sanitation minister, Cecilia Bradapar, walked out of an Accra High Court free and all her money and other items seized returned to her following decision by the office of the special prosecutor to, to discontinue all cases against her now this decision was taken after a series of in-chamber hearings on the matter the special prosecutor for months now has had in its custody monies of cecilia Dapa seized when her house was searched as part of the investigations now, the office also froze some bank account of cecilia Dapa for allegedly being tainted with corruption and corruption related activities but after seven months the special prosecutor kisi ejabeng told the media that on totality of the gathered evidence and intelligence it became clear that the case is largely in the province of suspected money laundering on 24 july 2023 the office placed ms dapa under arrest on charges of corruption and corruption related offenses the office subsequently conducted searches in three residential properties associated with ms dapa and mr osekufo at cantonments abilinkpe and tesano in accra the searches which were carried out over a period of two weeks led to the discovery of the cash sums of 590,000 United States dollars and 2,730,000 cities. Ms. Dapa and Mr. Osekufo could not readily provide a reasonable explanation as to the sources of the cash sums. Authorized officers of the office seized the discovered cash sums on reasonable grounds that they were suspected tainted property. In accordance with section 321 of the Office of the Special Prosecutor Act 2017 Act 959 as it was necessary to exercise the power of seizure to prevent concealment of the cash sums the special prosecutor considering it necessary to facilitate the investigations issued a freezing order against the bank accounts and investments of Ms Dapa domiciled at Prudential Bank Limited and Societe Generale Ghana Upon the refusal by the High Court to confirm the freezing and seizure orders in August 2023, the office re-seized the cash sums and re-froze the bank accounts and investments and applied to the court again for confirmation. In FT 0074-2023, the Special Prosecutor versus Cecilia Abinadapa and Daniel Osekufo. Extensive investigation was conducted in-country involving 20 persons and three state institutions and especially in the Ashanti region to establish the financial standing of Ms. Dapa's deceased brother during his lifetime and at the time of his death since it was alleged that a substantial portion of the cash sums belonged to Ms. Dapa's deceased brother. From October 2023, the investigation became cross-border and transboundary 
upon the claim by the persons of interest that part of the seized cash sums was transported to Ghana from the United States. For that reason, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, of the United States became involved in a collaborative investigative work with the office on the matter. Investigation has been aimed at determining the sources of the large cash sums associated with Ms. Dapa and Mr. Osei Kufo. The office has had the benefit of seven months of in-country and four months of collaborative transboundary investigation. Members of the press, on the totality of the gathered evidence and intelligence, it seems to us that the case is largely in the province of suspected money laundering and structuring. By operation of law, the Economic and Organized Crime Office, IOKU, has a specific and direct mandate in respect of suspected cases of money laundering and its an attendant activity of structuring. Of the special prosecutor is referring the case to IOKU for continued investigation and further action. The office will be in close collaboration with Yoko and continued collaboration with the FBI. A little over an hour ago, the office discontinued its application that was pending before the High Court for a confirmation of the seizure and freezing orders in pursuance of the referral of the case to Yoko. The court ordered that the office should return the cash sums and defreeze the accounts of uh, an investment of Ms. Dapa within 72 hours. The office also discontinued the procedural criminal charge against Ms. Dapa for failure to return forms on declaration of property and income since that was mounted on the original application for confirmation of the seizure and freezing orders, which was discontinued earlier in time. Now, the question still remains whether the entire exercise was a waste of time. Kisia Jabin disagrees. The contrary. It is the extensive investigation of the Office of the Special Prosecutor with the collaborative work of the FBI that has led us to this conclusion. If the Office of the Special Prosecutor had a direct mandate by law in respect of suspected money laundering and structuring, there will be no such referral. But we operate within the confines of the law. And since the law that created the OSP did not necessarily grant such a direct mandate in respect of uh, suspected money laundering, but the law that created the Economic and Organized Crime Office states specifically that they have a mandate in respect of uh, suspected money laundering. Now, after seven months of investigation, we have a body of uh, evidence. So if we have come to the conclusion that it suggests it seems to us that it is more in relation to suspected money laundering. Then the proper thing to do is to refer it to the uh, state institution, which by law has a direct mandate, as stated in the Act. Hindsight wisdom is always awesome. Those who are saying that are only doing so with hindsight wisdom. It's because we've had seven months of such extensive investigation to come to the conclusion we've arrived at. You cannot begin a case... When you, uh, we cannot begin making conclusions on a case a week or two after commencing investigation. But after piecing together all, all your evidence and all the testimony and all, everything that you have done, something should then suggest to you. If after seven months we did not have anything, we will just let it go. You get it? But after seven months, I think that we should be commended that we've been able to do such extensive work and have international collaboration as part 
uh, 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 of this matter. That is to say, we left no stone unturned, and that is what is uh, uh, leading us to this uh, outcome, as I just announced. So once again, I will say, it is very nice to have hindsight wisdom, but we did not have the benefit of hindsight wisdom. We have arrived at the present wisdom through hard work and sheer grit. Now, despite the slow progress of work, the special prosecutor, Kisei Jabing, said the office remains the only hope in the fight against corruption. The day you lose faith in this office is the day the soul of this country dies. See, the repetition you see is merely as a result of the period within which the law requires the office to report. Six months. See, even when you are prosecuting a matter in court, six months, by the reckoning, is like a day. You get it? If the law had required us to um, periodic um, uh, reports, let's say two years, three years, you won't see uh, this level of, of repetition. But what is so bad about repetition, especially when the matter is still pending and the matter is not, is not, is not yet resolved? And you would see that, although much of it looks like repetition, there's always a slight update in respect of the cases. Some are moved up in respect of the level at which the office has, has, has got into and whether the office is, is going to take uh, further action. So you see that case um, um, uh, reported in June that the office is still ongoing with the investigations. Then in December, you see that the office has concluded investigation in respect of that matter and that the special prosecutor will be giving further directions uh, 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 along, along those lines. It's just an update to tell you that between June and December of that year, there has been some uh, 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 conclusive points upon which the office can then further act. So you see that case repeated, but the notations and the Slightly different from what you saw in June. Quick example is uh, this one on the um, um, on the on the on the police recruitment uh, back 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 then. Consistently, you see it being repeated. But in December, we reported that the investigation has concluded. So you see it running all the way from 2021. But its repetition in here doesn't mean that we are resting on our oars. And it is best if we keep reminding the public. Of, 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 of these occurrences. Otherwise, you might see a case in there and then the case vanishes from the report and you don't even know what happened to the case. Then you'll be asking us questions. We've consistently been seeing this investigation, but you've omitted it from the report and you didn't tell us. The well, let's bring in a private legal practitioner, lawyer Alexander Kojokom Aban, who believes a thriving asset declaration regime in Ghana could have resolved this matter. Now, he joins us via Zoom here. Grateful for you to join us here. First off, uh, what do you make of what the OSP has done? Thank you very much, and uh, greetings to your choice viewers. Mm. Uh, I think I've done otherwise because um, the law that governs their activity mm-hmm. deals more with issues of corruption. Okay. And I tell you that when it comes to issues of corruption, it is very, very difficult to prove because two persons or three decide to do something outside of the law and outside the views of law enforcers. Mm. And so definitely, if 
you want to go and say somebody has been involved in corruption or corruption-related activities, the law also requires that you who are alleged, that is the state, will have to prove. But as it stands now, we will have to only be in the realm of conjecture. Mm. Probably your, your guess may be as good as mine that this money may not have been acquired through any legitimate means. It is not to say specifically that uh, Ms. Dapa uh, has maybe uh, found some illegitimate ways of uh, getting this money. Mm. Because that will have to be proved beyond reasonable doubt in court. Now, if we had serious asset regime, I mean asset declaration regime, where we would know that indeed uh, Ms. Dapa or any other person who is going into political office Mm -hmm. has properly declared his or her assets. Okay. You will then realize Mm. that at least if the person is living above his or her means, we will then have cause to ask the person to give reasonable explanation as to how she or he or she came by okay. the huge amount found in her in her house. So 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 we don't have that we don't have that functional asset uh, declaration regime. But the OSP's office which we created to help us solve this seem to be going through a lot of challenges in, in the work that they do. What could possibly be the reason and how do we cure it? Because you are a lawyer yourself and, and possibly even part of those who created this. Yes, I was in Parliament when this law was created. Mm-hmm. I admit. But uh, to me, probably I would say I stand vindicated somehow. The reason being that um, at the time this law was being done, mm. I said that um, it is not the multiplication of the laws that we are passing which will cure the cancer of corruption in the country. As of now, you know as I do that corruption hasn't gone down at all even with the creation of the Office of Special Prosecutor. Mm. For me, I think what happened really was to give political credit to those who uh, thought about it and bet it. Okay. But in terms of its use to fight corruption, I think we have failed. Okay. Now, and for uh, me, mm. the existing laws were enough to, to fight corruption. Fight corruption, yes. Okay. Now, the, the case has been referred to the EOCO. Can we trust the EOCO to do a good job on this matter? I doubt. The reason being that they will still come face to face with the same law. The law would be that prove the guilt of Ms. Dapar beyond reasonable doubt. The law would be to state that looking at her previous position mm, okay. prior to taking political office. She didn't have this money. Okay. But here is the case. We do not do serious asset declaration okay. uh, in the way 
we have to before mm -hmm. people get into political office. So how are you going to, what will be the basis? Because if you have a base mm -hmm. information to say that at the time she was coming into politics, this was how much she was worth. And now she has all this. And looking at the salary and all other perquisites that go with her office, mm -hmm. she couldn't have gained all this amount during the period of her stay in public office, okay. then you are making a case. Okay. But since so, so, we do not have any basis, all right. how are you going to do that? So you don't think that Ioko will do a good job on this? I'm grateful to you, lawyer, for joining us here. Lawyer, could you come up and there? Now to other stories and finding a working defibrillator. Escuchas ese rugido? Sientes la experiencia de poder? La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. A tool that is used to shock patients back to life in FM Grand Regional Hospital in the Western Region is akin to the ninth wonder of the world. Now, the sole defibrillator in the hospital is currently faulty and was donated by foreign students. Health workers are distressed and are crying for a working defibrillator, insisting it is becoming difficult to save patients who are in cardiac arrest. Jojo Kobner has more in today's episode of Sick Hospitals. A defibrillator is a life-saving equipment. When the heart is not beating normally, the defibrillator is used to deliver controlled electric shock to the heart. This shock can help restore the heart's normal rhythm in cases of sudden cardiac arrest. In countries like South Korea and the UK, defibrillators can be found in public places like pubs, markets, and crowded places. What about Ghana? The Ghana Harmonized Health Facility Assessment Report 2023 says only 5% of hospitals in Ghana have the required basic equipment in consulting rooms. We make our way to Ghana's oil city, Takrade. The Fianquanta Regional Hospital receives referrals from across the region. It is fair to say that it serves over 3 million population. Apart from cardiopulmonary resuscitation, CPR, which involves chest compressions and rescue breaths, can the hospital save your life if you go into cardiac arrest? Well, um, I would say that uh, we're doing the best that we can uh, under the circumstances. At the A&E, where you are most likely to be taken to, uh, we have just one defibrillator. Um, but for a, a unit of that size, uh, we should have more. So in your case, if you are the only one who needs the machine at that point in time, yes, we'll be able to, to do it for you. But if there are many patients who need the same service, then it becomes a challenge. Dr. Joseph Kodjotambil, the medical superintendent of the hospital, is passionate. He wants his medical staff to get the best equipment to serve patients. But he also wears another hat to manage the information he gives the media and also assure residents of the western region and beyond that they can rely on this facility. With some hesitation, he admits that even the only available defibrillator has challenges and calls for resourcing of the hospital. And, and the defibrillator doesn't work properly, like it functions um, With well. a few challenges, but with batteries and, and all that, but um, when, when called upon, it, 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 it would function. But like I said, we don't... 
we need more of those uh, machines uh, rather than just one. So we went to the Accident Emergency Center to find out how the facility handles cases of cardiac arrest. We have uh, one automated external defibrillator. It's faulty because the battery is irreplaceable. So the battery went down and we can't uh, replace it. So now it's malfunctioning. So when we have, if our patient suddenly arrests, it's difficult for us to determine the rhythm so that we can apply the shock. We are not able to do that. This is a life-saving machine. You can have cardiac arrest at any point in time. When we are intervening, it's a, it's a must that we have an automated external defibrillator. The only defibrillator, which is now 40, was even donated by foreign students who saw the need for the equipment in the emergency room. To make you understand the issue better, Regina Kweku, the unit head of the Accident and Emergency Center, shares a recent story. We had this patient that was brought in with electrical shock. With that one, you know, because of the external electrical current, it sends the rhythm to a different the patient to a different rhythm. So if we had this, we could have reversed, we could have shocked the patient to set the rhythm to the normal. But because we didn't have, we continued with our CPR, CPR, and when we were all exhausted, we had to call it. For those who do not understand what the term call it, it simply means they had pronounced the patient dead. How often do they call it? So it does happen. Very often. Very often. The search for a defibrillator at the Fianquanta took me to the intensive care unit. Here, they provide critical care to patients. The unit also needs a defibrillator. Is there one here? Mavis Mills is a supervisor at the ICU. We need, um, for now, we don't even have a defibrillator here. They brought one, but they said that there was a problem with their battery. So they sent it in. For now, we don't have a defibrillator. We are anywhere in the western region, uh, and when something happens to you, like an accident, or you have a heart attack, or uh, or some other uh, condition, you are most likely to be brought to a fear counter. And um, if we are not in the best um, situation to be able to help you, uh, the consequences can be dire. So we want to uh, appeal to all of them to, I mean, to look at this place. Uh, uh, let, let, let's collaborate and see where they can put their money in uh, to improve on the quality of services. Uh, for a young quanta, and if you, they do so, it is for the entire citizenry uh, of the Western region and even beyond. Clearly, the young quanta Regional Hospital needs healing. George Kopnam, join news. Well, let's have a chat on this. And joining us via Zoom is Kwame Sapansiedu, pharmacist and research fellow at CDD Ghana. Uh, grateful for joining us. How did we get here as a nation? Um, I'd say good evening um, and good evening to your listeners. We got here because we haven't, from a policy and political standpoint, invested in health infrastructure. 
and that's that's how we got here. Mm. It's sad. Mm. But if that's how we got here, how do we change the narrative? Well, it's about being intentional and purposeful and deciding that we value the lives of our citizens and people shouldn't die like chickens where CPR cannot revive you and even without health professionals knowing that you've actually passed, they call it. Mm. It's about being intentional. And I don't think our politicians are intentional enough. Mm. They don't procure health care in our jurisdiction. And therefore, sometimes think that as a result, they can get away with the rest of us. Okay. Procuring mm. mm. health care at this level. And, and, and that, that's, that's the fundamental truth. So it means that's where the answer lies, that our politicians should change the way they, they view healthcare. I'm grateful to you for joining us here, Doc. Now, uh, the United Kingdom is set to send some, some of Ghana's crown jewels back home 150 years after looting them from the court of the Ashanti King. The gold artifact will, will be loaned to Ashanti Kingdom following a three-year agreement with the two forces to the second. Thirty-two looted golden artifacts displayed in UK museums have been shuttled for return to Ghana. Most of the items which are to be loaned to its custodial owners were taken during the 19th century wars between the British and the Asante. The items included a golden pipe, sword of state and gold badges worn by officials charged with cleansing the soul of the king. Both the UK and the Asantehini have reached a three-year agreement where the loaned artifact will be displayed in the Mensha Palace Museum as part of the Asantehini Silver Jubilee celebration. The agreement is subject to three years extension after which they will be repatriated to the UK museums. The UK is deliberately refusing to permanently return stolen artifacts in their custody to their countries of origin, hence the enactment of legislation to protect them. The decision has been met with criticisms from a section of the Ghanaian public. The Asante gold artifacts are the ultimate symbol of the Asante royal government and are believed to be invested with the spirit of former Asante kings. Now, the man who led the negotiation with the UK, Ivo Ajimandria, joins us on the telephone for detailed discussion on this. Grateful for joining us. Um, now, he is joining us via Zoom now. How long did the negotiation last? It's been running for the last nine months. We started in May uh, last year, and we concluded some two weeks or so ago. Mm. And when are these artifacts coming into the country? Most likely between April and May of this year. Yeah. How do you react to a section of the I mean, public who feel that the UK should rather return the stolen items in their custody other than loaning it to its original owners? I would say this is a legitimate question to ask uh, in the light of what happened uh, in 1874. These obviously were looted objects that were taken to Britain in particular, but some of them also found their found ways in European museums. 
and uh, some cross the Atlantic to the Americas. So obviously, the history of the objects uh, dictates that uh, people can easily ask this uh, question like this, uh, Smith question. But then we were also operating within the historical antecedents of the time, noted objects, yes, um, but the British have them. They have them, and they have enacted laws around the, the these objects. Said that is very difficult. The laws of antiquity are very strong laws, and museums, national museums in particular, in UK, cannot permanently return these objects, even if there are there is a goodwill by workers, by museum economists who feel that they should look at the laws again. As it is now, it cannot. So as it cannot, we only had to to look into what was possible. And the loan agreement of possibly six years was what was available. And mind you, we've been talking about the return of these objects for close to 50 years. And um, we had not made any headway. So we needed to change strategy along the line. We needed to look at other options. In particular, uh, for this year, which is 150 years since they were taken, the centenary year of Prempe's return from Ezra, and as you rightly said, Otunfo Zone Silver Jubilee. But to have these objects return home, to have a feel of uh, the creativity of forebears was something that had been on the minds of many. Mm. I wish we can talk more on this, but I'm grateful that you join us here. This is still John Ish Prime. We'll take it. Welcome back from the break. Now, Lands and Natural Resources Minister Samuel Abu-Jinapur has disclosed exclusively to join you so that the economic management team is considering a feasibility study on the possible withdrawal of value-added tax on mining exploration in Ghana. The Trade Union Congress at news conference a couple of days ago questioned why the sector minister, Samuel Abu-Jinapur, is giving a free pass to rich multinational mining companies while government is imposing a 15% value-added tax on electricity consumers above lifeline level. Now, Dr. Yaoba, a secretary general of the Trade Union Congress. The Trade Union Congress is scaling up their fight against government's imposition of a 15% value-added tax on power consumption above lifeline levels. As the controversial policy takes off, the labor unions say they are appalled by the decision of the Lands and Natural Resources Ministry to withdraw value-added tax on mining exploration in Ghana. Why government is imposing VAT on us, residential customers, of electricity? Plans are far advanced to remove VAT on mineral exploration in Ghana for wealthy multinational mining companies. The statement from the labor unions is prompting a sharp response from the Ghana Chamber of Mines, which says the reasons for government's impending policy is largely misconstrued. Suleiman Kone is chief executive officer of the Ghana Chamber of Mines. There are various phases of, of mining. So you start with exploration. And that phase of exploration, you don't have revenue because you're exploring. As the controversy rages on between organized labor and the Chamber of Mines, Land and Natural Resources Minister Samuel Abujinapo says Ghana's economic management team will make a final determination on the matter. I think it's a matter that we have to interrogate and, and examine. And it's a matter that is currently before the economic management team of government, uh, which has been examined. Uh, thoroughly and dispassionately. We need to strike a careful balance. The balance between taxing the industry, which I believe the Chamber and all of us agree. Los mejores viajes 
nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Um, it's, it's one that we cannot escape, as well as also making the Ghanaian mining industry uh, attractive in terms of uh, attracting investment into the industry. Because the bedrock of every mining industry is exploration. Without exploration, you don't have the industry, because the exploration that an S or that reveals whatever resources you have. And so um, if you have a regime which makes exploratory activities uh, unattractive, your industry eventually will collapse. Meanwhile, President Kofuado says the wealth of mineral deposits in Ghana and other African countries ought to position the continent as a powerhouse and not a group of people who economically are challenged. The president, who was opening the African Prosperity Dialogues at the Pedrasi Presidential Lodge, called for harmonization of trade and economic policies among African countries in order to leverage on the mineral resources of these countries for collective prosperity. The president is hopeful that the African Continental Free Trade Area Framework will go a long way to boost growth for the African people. Ladies and gentlemen, we all know that Africa is blessed. Africa is not a poor continent. In fact, she is too rich to be poor. A continent has every natural resource imaginable, oil, gas, minerals, and an abundance of sunlight. We have some 65% of all arable land available to feed 9 billion people globally by 2050. In our continent, is home to the most youthful population in the world. We have everything we need to transform Africa into a global powerhouse of the future. We must therefore remind ourselves consistently of the projects, the prospects she has, and our individual and collective responsibility to turn prospects into productivity that can generate prosperity for our peoples. I'm excited and proud that once again I've had the privilege to host the Africa Prosperity Dialogues. Uh, Coco Smuggling is stalling road project in the OT region and other parts of the country. That's according to the OT regional minister who is tasking the chiefs of the region to help deal with the menace. Speaking during a sensitization program ahead of a reaffirmation exercise by the Ghana Boundary Commission to replace all destroyed boundary pillars in the region, the OT regional minister Joshua Makubu says the Volta and OT regions, which together produced 8,000 tons of cocoa, are now experiencing a drop to just 100 tons. And in, unlike Ghana, where we subsidize fertilizers to cocoa farmers, we provide chemicals and also help them to maintain their farms. Our neighboring Togo doesn't do the same. So there are price differentials, and there's always that temptation to want to carry the, what they call it, uh, cocoa beans across the borders, especially some 
uh, excuse me, I don't want to say criminally minded uh, individual who will buy it from the farmers and go and do that. That is making us lose a lot of cocoa. The other issue some of the farmers are raising is that the local buying uh, companies that are in town do not have the money to do that. That I'm going to, as a matter of agency, cross-check from Cuckoo Board and ensure that whatever funds that are needed to be able to purchase the cuckoo beans produced in the OT region will be made available. As we speak now, in 2019, where Volta and OT used to contribute about 8,000 tons to the cocoa stock in Ghana. But as we speak now, we are struggling to even be able to make 100 tons. Agrib resident of Asaiman are warning politicians not to canvass for vote in the municipality due to what they describe as eight years of neglect, mainly of road infrastructure. According to them, despite pleas and numerous demonstrations over the state of their road, no improvements have occurred. They want politicians to stay away from political campaigns there until roads are fully rehabilitated. Carlos Caloni has the rest of the story. The level of dust you see behind me is what a resident of Ashaiman grapple with every day. Many of the roads in this municipality are very deplorable. And for that reason, they are saying, sending a stern warning to the new patriotic party and all politicians not to step their foot in a shy man to canvas for votes. If they don't attend to the rules in a summer, nobody, we mean, no single soul, a political party, from wherever they shouldn't venture in a summer year, coming to campaign. If they come, we will use our lives as sacrifice for the people of Ashama because Ashama belongs to Ghana. And the population that they always get here, any political party, NDC, NDP, when they conduct votes, when they get here, it's very huge. And they think we are fools. We are not fools. We are not going to entertain this foolishness again. We are telling MPP. We are telling NBC. We are telling CPP. All political parties, everybody, they should attend to the rules in Ashama spirit. We have called on them. They have not been minded. Unless election time before they will come and do something. So we have all decided that maybe there is no need for us to vote. Meanwhile, following these concerns by the resident, the member of parliament for Ashaiman, Ernest Nogbe, has initiated rehabilitation and reshipping of four kilometers of the deplorable roads within the municipality. Uh, I receive on a daily basis complaints from the residents, and not only complaints from the residents themselves, even me myself, I see it, the nature of roads in Ashaiman. Every part of Ashaiman roads very deplorable, very bad. And the motorists are complaining, the drivers are complaining, everybody, the residents of Ashama, they are complaining. With this series of demonstrations, I asked series of questions on the floor of the house, I spoke with the minister himself, and everything. We gave ultimatum on the demonstration we even made last time. The assembly was adamant. Up to now, the government, nobody came to our aid. Now, since the complaints are coming from the residents, and I also feel same, uh, I can uh, sit aloof just to see my people suffer. Now I have resolved that the government is reluctant or refusing to do anything about our rules. So I have to take it upon myself as a member of parliament, an elected person, that everybody is thinking that I should do something about the rules for them to come and reshape it. So Welcome to Prime Business with me, Emma Davis. Now let's look at our stories. The Electricity Company of Ghana has raised concerns about the value-added tax on electricity. 
Although ECG and the Northern Electricity Distribution Company, NETCO, has been directed to implement the tax from 1st January 2024, the company says it is yet to implement it. Speaking on Joy News' PM Express, uh, Managing Director of ECG, Samuel Dubik Mahama, stated that ECG cannot merely respond to the letter from the government, especially when there are bottlenecks in the provision of the law that was passed as far back as 2013. In 2013, uh, the value-added tax bill was passed, Act 870, which set out the parameters in the first schedule and also uh, sections 35 and uh, 13 to 37 for the places that should uh, VAT should be charged on, like a dwelling place and all of that, which makes it most, mostly commercial and residential places. This has been a very thorny issue since 2013, and this implementation has also actually been a, a headache. If the thing is not being implemented, and there's a paragraph, the last paragraph says, you should uh, the transfer the revenues collected from the implementation of the VAT on the subject matter as a domestic VAT collection. There are processes that need to be what? To be outlined. First of all, one of the biggest challenges that will come up is this. Are we charging the VAT on uh, residential customers? If yes, are they on prepaid meters? Yes. So are you charging on prepaid meters? Are you charging per the money or the consumption? Because with prepaid, consumption is at the end of the day. Your consumption will be known at the end of the day. Because you are prepaying for something. Mm. So I, I will only know your consumption after you have consumed. Mm. So if I charge you the VAT when you are about to pay, that would not be fair if I'm charging on consumption. But at the end of the day, that means that if I'm to implement it at the end of the day, when you are about to purchase again, you actually have a debt. That needs to be settled. So all I say is there's a lot of stakeholder engagement that has to go into something like this. Because, so I, I see more of this letter as an, uh, a letter setting in motion an inquiry into all of this. And this was a clear directive? It's a directive, but if you're given a directive and there are bottlenecks, you don't go implementing a directive that has bottlenecks. Reacting to this development, tax consultant Francis Timoboy says the 15% VAT on electricity is not sustainable. According to him, the delay in the implementation of the tax will not only impact, will not impact revenue generation, hence government needs to go back to the drawing board and engage stakeholders for proper implementation of the tax. This is not the first time we are having this, this is not a new law. And so if over the years it has not had any impact on government revenue, is it that this January that this is going to have an uh, impact on government revenue? I doubt. And it shouldn't because, um, look, there are several engagements that we need to do. What is going to be the impact? If we increase it now, is it going to be counterproductive? Already we are aware of our 30% of ECG power is lost through commercial or technical losses. If you make the product so expensive, at the end of the day, you think that you are raising revenue, but people are going to steal the power because they have a way to do that. And ECG must pay the power producers because the power has been produced and you are not getting demand for it. So there's not going to be that demand supply mismatch. So once you think that you're going to lose revenue, you're going to rather cause more trouble in the power sector. I think we need to go back to see why for our 26 years we've not implemented it and then we take our time and implement it uh, gradually.
Mm. For me, I think that the rate of 22% is not, you know, sustainable. We can go for a flat rate, let's say 5%, to make it more affordable. Remember, we still have automatic adjustment in place. So power cost is still going, utility tariff is still going to go up anyway. Meanwhile, Associate Professor of Finance at the Andrews University, William Super, tells Joy Business the incoming 15% VAT on electricity charge will only worsen the financial situation of ECG. So, as of 2022, they reported that their uh, both commercial losses, technical losses, and system losses came to 7 billion US Ghana cities. And the same figure was reported in September 2023. So we still have we still had some some months to end 2023. So I know that by this time that number had increased. In all of these the analysis shows that their commercial losses has been increasing. The commercial losses is linked to people not being um, customers not being able to pay for the usage of electricity or some stealing of electricity and bad debt. So, if this matter is not addressed, and the way the incoming of the 15% is going to make the price of ECG products very expensive, and people will make, are going to probably use illegal means to, to use their service without payment, and it's going to worsen the financial situation of ECG. Away from ECG issues, President Ekufuado will be commissioning the new 97-kilometer railway line from Tema to Impakadan by March this year when the newly acquired trains arrive in the country. According to the Ghana Railway Development Authority, the two new coaches will be used purposely as passenger trains to aid movements from Tema to northern parts of the country and to parts of the water region. Speaking to Joy Business, Assistant Manager in Charge of Corporate Affairs at the Ghana Railway Development Authority, Nana Amaopoku said, work on the line is completed and ready to use. The Mampakadan rail line, which is a 97-kilometer rail line, is, is, is ready to be used. And very soon the president will be commissioning it. But before that, um, we are expecting some trains from Poland, which will be running on the Mampakadan rail line. And then it has a capacity of um, 150 to 200, which can, like, it's a passenger train. Yeah, so it can load up to a, a number of 150 to 200 people. And then um, it's running 120 kilometers per hour. So you can imagine the fastness of it and how many times it can be running in a day. Currently, we are also expecting two trains. Yes, we are expecting two trains to be running on the Tamampakadan line. And it's expected to be in Ghana by end of March. And then in seven months' time, we are going to expect the second one. So meaning by the end of March, we'll be seeing the first... Escuchas ese rugido? Sientes la experiencia de poder? La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Train, that'll be coming. The first one. No, the first one. We are expecting first two, but one will be coming before the other. So the first one will be coming by the end of March. And then by seven months' time, we'll be expecting the second one. 
Now, President Ekufuado has announced that Ghana is ready to advance visa-free applications for all Africans traveling to Ghana before the end of the year. He was speaking at the opening ceremony of the ongoing three-day African Prosperity Dialogue at Fidiasi in the Eastern Region. Here's more. TA is going to ensure that it continues to create opportunities for businesses to expand beyond their borders driving economic growth and creating a more integrated and interconnected continent. To unlock the full potential of trade for prosperity, let us prioritize the development of efficient transportation and logistics infrastructure, streamline trade processes, and embrace digital technologies that facilitate cross-border transactions without the need to depend on outside currencies. These dialogues must emphasize that Africa has to go heavy on the promotion of sustainable farming practices, coupled with targeted investments in infrastructure for innovation and technology. I also know that for many of you, you had to acquire a visa to come to this event even though special arrangements for this conference reduced the visa acquisition fee by 50%, and you were thus able to receive your visa on arrival. The government of Ghana is committed to ensuring visa-free for all Africans. For all Africans traveling to our country, and the process has begun to get the policy implemented this year. I, before I go. The $300 million World Bank cash should be transferred to the Bank of Ghana's accounts in coming weeks. This was after the Washington-based lender approved the disbursement of the fund following Ghana's completion of the first review of the IMF program. Senior economist at the World Bank Group, David El Mali, says they are working to quickly release the funds to aid Ghana's economic recovery. Operation comes at a critical time for Ghana. Um, as you know, the country is climbing out of a deep macroeconomic crisis um, that was, you know, uh, precipitated by the shocks, the shocks that came in 2020 and 2022. Uh, and that, you know, played on Ghana's existing uh, weaknesses. Uh, and this crisis, it led to an unsustainable public debt, inflation over 50%, and pressure on the balance of payment. Something that's really important to stress is that uh, the, the brunt of the crisis was really borne by the vulnerable segment of the population, or by vulnerable and poor Ghanaian, who were disproportionately affected uh, and practically, that means that there were increases in poverty and food insecurity. So this operation, um, it's important to also say that it is not happening in a void. It's part of a coordinated effort uh, with first and foremost uh, the, the government of Ghana, the authorities, and the IMF to, to help Ghana recover from the crisis. One would ask that when would the funds hit the uh, government of Ghana's account uh, here in Ghana? 
So the operation has been approved yesterday by the World Bank Board, and the funds should be transferred in the next couple of weeks. Couple of weeks, so that will be next week or the next, not next, not exactly. I don't time. have this level of details, but, but it should be it should be really soon, as soon as we can go through the administrative steps of you know finalizing everything. One would ask that which areas are there these funds are expected to be advanced to? So I think it's important to explain the the, the overall aim of this of this operation, these funds. Uh, the loan is in support of uh, the efforts to implement key reforms, uh, and those reforms especially that align with the World Bank mission and vision of a world free of poverty on a livable planet. In practice, um, th- this this operation supports uh, supports efforts uh, that will uh, you know aim to restore macro stability in the short term and lay the foundation for sustainable and resilient growth in the medium term. Some examples include strengthening domestic revenue mobilization and address the root cause of the crisis and reduce the fiscal deficit. Um, actions to help safeguard the financial sector stability. Uh, to ensure that the banking sector and the other, the rest of the financial sector uh, don't uh, are, remain stable, um, actions to improve the investment climate, uh, actions to put the energy sector back on a sure financial and operational footing to ensure that you know the the losses uh, that anchored by the sectors get contained and uh, and reduce over time. There are also actions to strengthen the social protection architecture, and finally, uh, action to strengthen climate adaptation and mitigation. What mechanisms have you uh, put in place to ensure that these funds are well utilized? Or if I say that I'm going to support the budget programs or to support the recovery of the economy, what mechanisms have you put in place to ensure that they are utilized for what the board approved for. Thank you. So this operation supports, you know, consistent, as I said, it supports a consistent uh, pro, uh, program of reforms and uh, and the disbursement of the, fund, of the funds is based on the effective implementation of these reforms. So these areas that, priority areas that I've mentioned before, uh, there is a list of specific reforms that have already been implemented, you know, before these these funds get disbursed. In addition, the World Bank um, ensures that the overall macro fiscal framework is adequate, basically meaning that the budgets, you know, and the debts are sustainable or on, on a path to sustainability. And finally, we monitor these macro and fiscal policies uh, closely, directly with the government and jointly with the IMF. Government has begun moves to support workers, particularly in the vocational and technical fields, to acquire new skills in green jobs and climate change initiatives. Speaking to Joy Business at a media sensitization and awareness creation event on National Green Job Strategy, Project Coordinator and Deputy Director for Policy Planning at the Ministry of Employment and Labor Relations, N.S. Berko said, this is critical in order not to cause unemployment for the Ghanaian youth. Here's more. 
The media workshop on the National Green Job Strategy is aimed at boosting the knowledge of the participants on government policy programs towards a clean environment. As part of the strategy, many state initiatives are geared towards supporting small and medium enterprises to transform their operations to meet the green standards. Project Coordinator and Deputy Director for Policy Planning at the Ministry of Employment and Labor Relations, Ernest Berkun, told Joy Business that the move towards a green economy is expected to affect jobs has the need to upskill in order not to or to prevent people from uh, getting out of job we need to ensure that uh, people have acquired the skills that would enable them to take advantage of the uh, the green economy because the green economy requires that people learn certain things before they can do certain things uh, so all the skills that we need in order to be able to operate in the green economy we should ensure that people are learning those skills and we are supporting them to build like the way today people are uh, into all, all kinds of uh, industrial activity which one way or the other is affecting the the environment in the same way we need to support people to build those industries that will enable us do the things that we need to do so that we don't have uh, any negative impact on the environment. Project Partners SNV believes that Ghana has what it takes to implement all the strategies in the policy. Project Officer Amin Musa has been speaking to Joy Business about the scope of work done so far. Very important because we want to ensure that um, sustainability come to play because most often you know projects come, project go and they go with the project. But this one, we want to ensure that the project stays and it benefits Ghana. So uh, SMV, in collaboration with European Union, we, uh, we have put in 150,000 euros for, uh, to support the implementation of the green job strategy. Uh, the scope includes sensitization uh, of, um, of ministries, departments, so we did it regional. We went to, we did Accra, we went to Kumasi, uh, we, went, yeah, we went to Kumasi, Kofodia, uh, we went to Takradi and Cape Coast. We are now looking uh, uh, at uh, going to the north and then OT regions and Volta region very soon this month. Ghana is expected to give a status report on its strategy at the next global meeting on climate change. Still with businesses, Executive Chairman and Editor-in-Chief of CRIF Ghana and CRIF Media, Reverend Kennedy Okushon, has advised businesses to factor in other macroeconomic indicators before drafting a budget for the operations. According to him, this is to ensure sustainability. He spoke to Joy Business at the CRIF Customer Awards and Product Exhibition. Always have a plan and stick to your plan. And when the plan is not meeting the desired results, we are getting the desired outcomes. Go back to the drawing and see what the problems are. And draw again. Capital is key to business. To do business, you need money. You need capital. So capital, for me, from my perspective, given what I've done the last 38 years, capital is key. You need money. You need capital. Business, not just an entrepreneur, not just for.
The quality of teak products exported from Ghana is found to have considerably reduced in recent times, rendering the industry less competitive in its biggest markets. Historically considered a premium teak on the Indian market, the largest importer of Ghana's teak is also crippled with high cost of operation according to foreign investors in Ghana's teak companies. This was reviewed by a fact-finding trade mission to India and Vietnam and a trend analysis of Ghana timber and wood products exports from 2001 to 2021. There is more in the following report. India and Vietnam are the biggest importers of Ghana's teak and wood products. A joint team of the Forestry Commission and the private sector embarked on a fact-finding trade mission to these countries to examine the performance of Ghana's teak trade and value-added wood products in the markets. A meeting opened a discussion on ways of adding value and revamping the industry with additional domestic and export markets. Mohammed Nuruddin Idrisu is the acting executive director of the Timber Industry Development Division of the Forestry Commission. So in the past, our teak used to have premium price, but now the quality coming up from our forests is not great. The reason being that the Latin America teak is grown from what we call true tissue culture. So it means that it's been genetically modified to grow faster. It is for that reason that uh, our quality has gone a little bit higher, I mean, so lower. And for that matter, our price generating in the Indian market is also coming uh, down as compared to the, the prices uh, from um, Latin America. Aside that, um, our cost of production over here is also a bit high because if you are producing from the natural forest, you're going to live it for a very, very long time. According to the Research and Statistics Department of TIDD, Ghana is doing 56% to 58% of export in teak. Research and Statistics Manager at the Forestry Commission, Samuel Maulidu, emphasized the value addition and diversifying export species by promoting lesser-known timber species. As I mentioned, the promotion of the lesser-use, lesser-known timber species, and also the development of more plantations, you know, because now the focus has shifted to plantation timber. The direction of trade is to India, which is dangerous. So we cannot rely on that alone. So we must do more of value addition. But from the comments from the managing director of Samatex, Richard Dia in Senchie, is admonishing the private sector to champion the implementation of the recommendation proposed by the I finance. believe that uh, we... Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. And the private sector should lead these findings and observations and also lead the implementation because it is all about the private sector. As we know, Ghana Forestry Commission does not export wood. They only facilitate the export of wood products. So I think it's the private sector who has to lead in this whole implementation.
manager of plantation at the Forestry Commission, Kwame Ejayi, disclosed the commission will earmark its revenue for the maintenance of plantation to improve the quality of teak products. We have been a lot of restoration programs, but um, maintenance has been a challenge for us. Um, we have large vectors uh, of plantations that we've established, but there's not been adequate maintenance of some of these plantations. A key recommendation that we made was that um, as Forestry Commission, we need to earmark um, some of our revenue for maintenance, exclusively for maintenance of the plantation. And we will do this um, collaboratively with the private sector. Reporting for Joy News, Clinton. Yeah, That'll be all for Prime Business tonight with me, Emma Davis. A pleasure serving you. But you can check my joy online for more business stories. I leave you with international business. But next, it's Prime Sports with Razak Musbao. Welcome to Prime Sports with me, Razak Musbao. Now tonight, the Ghana Football Association have announced a roadmap to have the next Black Stars coached. And in so doing, have named a five-member committee, search committee, to evaluate and recommend a candidate to the Executive Council for approval. Now, this is after Chris Eaton was relieved of his duties as coach of the Black Stars on Tuesday. The search committee will be chaired by the vice president of the Ghana Football Association, Mark Addo. The committee will also include Ghana football legend and former Kumasi Asante Kotoko player, Opoku Inti. Uh, legal practitioner, Ace Ankoma, will also be on that committee. And the director of coaching at the Ghana Football Association, uh, Professor Joseph Kwame Minta, will also be on that committee, along with the chief director of the Ministry of Youth and Sports, William Kaiser Kate. Now, the committee, we understand, is has been given three weeks to three weeks to find the replacement for Chris Seaton and um, report to the Executive Council of the Association. Now, a detailed job description for the head coach position of the Black Stars, we understand, will soon be announced. However, um, an abbreviated versions of the criteria for the selection of the next coach has uh, been disclosed. And it includes that uh, the potential head coach should be a proven winner in coaching top men's national team or football club. It must have a football philosophy that aligns or complements the Ghana Football Association's DNA. It must hold the highest football alliances in the world with over 15 years coaching experience. It must also have a proven track record in team reconstruction, organization, and development of young talent. And finally, it must be a proven disciplinarian, a tactician, and must have leadership skills. Now, uh, we'll be joined by former Ghana Football International, Augustine Ahenfo, and sports journalist Jerome Autry for some insights on this latest development as far as the Black Stars coaching job is concerned. But already, there have been some individuals who have been put uh, in the media space and have been discussed as possible replacement for Chris Eaton. Now, among them include Jose Moreno, who was sacked by... Ayers Roma 
most recently. Then there is Hev Renard, a former AFCON winner, won the AFCON with Zambia and also won it with Ivy Coast. And currently the women's national team coach for France. And there is Tom Sinfiet, who is the recent coach for Gambia. Uh, he resigned after Gambia failed to progress from the group stages of the tournament. And there is Kumasia Santikotoko, head coach, Prosper Nate Ogum, all being discussed in the media space as possible replacement for coach Chris Heaton. Well, uh, journalist Jerome Autry uh, joins me now for some insights into this latest development, particularly um, if this is the first approach, if is the first approach the Ghanaful Association should be undertaken in resolving the issues relative to Ghana football. Jerome, thank you so much for making time. And let me just mention that congratulations to you on your graduation. And uh, let me just get the ball rolling, too. First of all, what do you make of this um, directive by the Ghana Football Association, setting up a five-member committee to find replacement for Chris Hutton? Uh, is, should this be the way to go after the Black Stars' humiliation in Cote d'Ivoire? Well, in their minds, they believe that's the way to go. But if you've been gauging the public reaction and also what is coming from journalists across the nation. You clearly see that this approach is not anything that the public believes will change anything. And I am also with the public and fellow media colleagues that I think this is just a rehash of the old strategies of solving the problems for the black stars. And I do not see what this is going to lead. I don't want to uh, cast doom over what they are going to do, but I'm not so convinced that it will make any significant changes in what we want to see of the Black Stars coaching issues. But, I mean, Jerome, just a closer look at the individuals who have been taxed to find a new coach. Um, I see loyal uh, legal practitioner is Ankoma in there. And, of course, Opokuinti, one man you are very familiar with, then there is the director, chief director of the Ministry of Youth and Sports, understandably representing the Ministry of Youth and Sports there. And there is the director of coaching, uh, coach education at the Ghana Football Association. And there is a vice president of Mark Addo. Um, from where you sit, though, are these people good enough for that search? Well, I, you know, it, it would be unfair to say that they are not good enough. Because here we are looking at uh, individuals and given the, the caliber of personalities I have seen on the, on the list, I mean, I, I know Makado, he's the vice president of the FA. I know uh, lawyer Esan Kuma. I don't know him personally, but I mean, I know he's one brilliant uh, legal person. I know Professor uh, Minta in the football circles. I've worked with Opokunti before. I don't know uh, Mr. William Caesar. But then, I, you know, it would be unfair and even bad on my part to cast any doubt over the competence of the people that have been selected to 
to, to search for a new coach. I, I don't think this is about their, their personalities or their various competencies. It is basically the fact that what they are going to look for is not what is going to offer the solutions to the problems of the Black Stars. Where I sit, I see the problems of the Black Stars to be purely one of management and not necessarily a coaching problem. Even though I'm first to admit that Chris Hilton let us down and take it from me, even if the best coach in the world is appointed to handle the Black Stars, it is not going to solve the problems some of us have seen with management of the team. There's, there are fundamental issues of management that are not being properly addressed. And I don't see how uh, a set party going for a coach will fix those fundamental problems. Let me give you one example. We have a team that, for example, were supposed to have a pre-tournament camp. So before we went to the AFCON, we were supposed to have camping. Now, managers of the team could not predict, could not tell that the public were going to reject any attempt to take the team to South Africa at this time. And in their eyes, there were no better options in the country to camp the team. Yet you have a Namibian team far away in Windhoek, their capital, deciding to camp in Ghana, finding a facility to train, and then finding a place to sleep. And here we were, the Namibians came here, camped here, they are in Ivory Coast. As we speak, they are into the next round of the competition. And we, who boast to be the, I mean, boast, I mean, claim to be the best on the continent, or even better than Namibia, are, are, are out of the competition. And we're not just out. We, we are just following a trail of uh, failures in terms of Afghan appearances in the last two years. And I'm saying that a coach will not fix the management problems of the team. A coach will come and perhaps find a, a, a good uh, 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 playing, playing attitude for the players. Or, I mean, would, would come with tactics and, and, and stuff like that. That will change the performance of the team. But there are fundamental issues of management, and that is not going to change. If we, 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 we behave like merely appointing a coach is what will solve the problems of the team. I don't see it that way. I need to look at proper team culture, proper team attitude. What I see of the team, I do not see that in camp. And I'm telling you that bringing the best coach and the problems will be there. The FA is just choosing the easier option. And look, I don't have confidence in what they are going to do. But I would rather wait and see what the outcome will be so that if you are saying anything, you are speaking on the basis of what has happened and not merely speculating. Uh, Jerome, I think one other issue that has come up, I'm sure um, it, it, might, it might even feature when the new coach is appointed, at the, the current crop of Black Star players. And it's been caused that some of them should be you know, it's a good bar should be said to them. I mean, from, from where you are, from where you sit, though, how do you see the future of the Black Stars, current Black Stars core? Do you think, yes, it's time for some players to 
bit farewell to the senior national team and possibly time to start all over again with the young talent in the team? We, we will have to find out who is making that determination. Yes, I think there are some players who might say goodbye to the team in, in the not-too-distant not future. Somebody like Dede Ayu has been with the team for a long time. He, he's not had uh, playing time where he plays in France. And probably that's why we haven't seen uh, any good performances of him as we know of, of the previous form he had. So, yes, there might be one or two players, but who is going to make those, uh, I mean, that determination? And on what basis will that determination be made? You see, this is why I believe that the approach we are taking is not going to solve the problem. Because even player attitude in camp, how, how does a coach comes in and gets to fix that all of a sudden? You know, I, I, I have a difficulty in accepting the way our senior national team is being run. Mm. I, I, I don't know why we have chosen this, this path of doing things. Because from all we have seen in the last four years, we are not doing the right things. And we know what the right things are. Yet, I don't know why we are not going in straight ahead or head on to, to, to do what we know to be right. Mm. You know, if you, I mean, you, you were talking about players. The last time we had uh, Sike Akono as coach of the Black Stars, what is it that we didn't hear? We heard of player in positions on the coach. In fact, we learned of a, a manipulation of the coach. And these were things that the coach himself denied. Only for him to leave the job and on your network, he later confessed to not having the freedom to select players. Is that going to change as a new coach is being looked for? That is an issue that we will have to talk about. Selection of players. To be fair, until consulting came, almost every Black Stars selection was, was rejected by the public. And you see, sometimes when we mention the public, they make it look like the public has no say. But football cannot be played without the public. You need the fans to always... Mm. Well, we seem to have uh, lost uh, Jerome Autry uh, momentarily over there. But like we mentioned earlier, a five-member committee have been set up. Escuchas ese rugido. Sientes la experiencia de poder, la emoción de la libertad. Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. By the Garfield Association to uh, find a replacement for Chris Easton. And um, uh, uh, among them include the vice president of the Ghana Football Association, uh, legal practitioner, lawyer Ace Ankoma, and the coach education director at the, Minish, at the Ghana Football Association, Professor Joseph Kwame Minta. And Ghana football legend himself, Opoku Nti, is also in that um, committee, along with William Caesar Kate, who is the chief director at the Ministry of Youth and Sports. 
And when you consider closely the criteria that has been given to them to uh, use as a framework for selecting a new coach for the senior national team, it speaks about, speaks about one who should, uh, should, should be a proven winner in coaching top men's national team or club football. Very important. And it's also stated that the person must have a football philosophy that aligns or complements with the DNA of Ghana football. It must, or the person must also hold the highest football license in the world with over 15 years coaching experience. And says the person must have proven track record in team reconstruction, organization, and development of young talent. person must also be a proven disciplinarian, a tactician, and must have some leadership skills. I must have some leadership skills. Well, uh, so those are the criteria that have been outlined by the Ghana Football Association, and these are the people, individuals, who... Um, uh, in the public domain, been discussed a potential replacement, Jose Moreno, Hevrenard, Tom Sinfiet, and Prosper Nate Ogum. We'll try and explore this further after this very quick break. Hello, welcome back. Now, um, Jerome Autry, we lost you just a bit, but uh, thankfully you are back. Jerome, uh, let's just touch briefly on the individuals who are in the public domain and been discussed as individuals of the Gunful Association should consider. I'm sure you've seen some of them. Um, popular on the list is Jose Moreno. Of course, he makes Ghana Football Association very ambitious to try and get Jose Moreno, but he is available at the moment. And Herb Renard, a proven individual on the African continent, won the AFCON twice with Zambia and with Ivory Coast and Thompson Fiat. And he is one individual whom people are also tipping with because of his exploit with the Gambian national team. And of course, your man, Prosper Nate Ogum, if there is a need to look uh, local for uh, a replacement of Chris Eaton. Well, there's, there's always going to be a need to look for a local coach for the Black Stars because, you see, everything we see, it will come down to whether we can afford to pay for the, 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 the salaries of some of these coaches. Mm. And I, I do not want to go there because the names you have mentioned, perhaps apart from the Gambian coach, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the former Gambian coach, yeah. I, I do not see uh, Moreno or Reina coming down here because mm. from all I know, we cannot afford, we cannot pay. How much was Christian paid? I don't know. Mm. But I know uh, his uh, other coaches, the other coaches that were there before him, mm. none took more than $50,000. Yeah. And I'm very sure Chris might have taken less than $50,000. And the coaches you are mentioning, uh, I mean, you are mentioning, unless they are going to put money aside and, and, and chase ambition or the fact that it is Ghana and they want to come and uh, see what they can do here, mm. money is going to be a, a chief determinant as to whether or not they will come. And what we are being told, I don't think Ghana can afford any of these coaches. Mm. Uh, and, and of course, you, you make a point about there is a need to look local. And I mean, that's where the challenge has been. We tried Kusi up here, and it doesn't look like he's one man who might be favored on the corridors of the Ghana Football Association. Uh, Maxwell Kunedu, another 
you know, top local coach might not be favoured. But then people will be asking the questions, what options then are there as far as local coaches are concerned if we have to look local? It is because we have not developed well enough the, the, the local breed of coaches we have. Mm. It is because those managing our game themselves have no confidence in the local coaches. Mm -hmm. That is why we might dismiss any potential or any chance the local coaches have to, to coach the Black Stars. Mm. But I tell you, it, is, it, it goes to, to, to strengthen some of the arguments some of us have advanced for this rash decision to, to, to get a coach. Mm -hmm. It's rash in the sense that, I mean, we just returned from the AFCON. Not, what, what kind of analysis have we done to even uh, arrive at the, the, the decision to look for a new coach? Mm. You know, because see, there were two assistants of Chris Hilton. Even that the two assistants were also so bad that if we are dispensing with Chris Hilton, we have to also get rid of them. Mm. You know? And then you mentioned Chris Apia. Yeah, it is interesting that we don't. This particular FA don't seem to have any confidence in Kwesiapia. But all the five coaches they have brought, none has done anything, or none was able to do anything that surpasses anything Kwesiapia has done. Yeah. So, so what are we talking about? It it, it, it again strengthens the point I made earlier that this FA doesn't seem to be on on, on point with what they are doing with the Black Stars. Mm. And, I mean, I have said that I think they've lost it. They will need to be sober, do proper soul-searching, and look at the, the, the real problems undermining national team football in the country mm. and stop this attitude of uh, feeling bossy and going around the place as if they knew everything. Yet, in, in almost five years of their management of the Black Stars, mm -hmm. it's, it's been disastrous. I mean, I, I cannot... I, I, I cannot understand how they don't even see the shame in, 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 in how they have handled things. Mm. You know, we have gone to two Afghans. This is a national team that a few years ago was going to the, 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 the semifinals of the Afghan. Yep. We've played two finals of the Afghan between 2010 and 2015. Yep. Mm -hmm. And today we find ourselves at a position where we cannot even win a game at the AFCON. And, and, and people who are in charge of the game somehow feel that they are, they, are, they are on top of affairs. They are not on top of affairs. I think that we need to uh, uh, continue pushing them for the best of, 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 of management, for the best of, uh, uh, you know, the best of things. Because what they are doing in my opinion, doesn't inspire any, any confidence. Mm. And uh, we can only hope that things change as they seek to look for remedies. But, like I said earlier, the approach they have taken, in my opinion, uh, will, not, will not really do us any good. But then, we are not God. We don't know the future. We will have to uh, give them the benefit of the doubt in spite of all we have said and see what will happen as the search party begin their work. Yes, well, the search party has begun their work and they have three weeks to report to the Executive Council and the Executive Council will then approve the report or otherwise and subsequently 
move to the Ministry of Youth and Sports for final uh, approval of the coach that they will come up with. Jerome, thank you so much for your time this evening. And, uh, of course, we'll continue this conversation as the search party continues their work. Well, that's it for Prime Sports tonight with me, Razak Pusbao. Between 10 to 11 p.m., AFCON tonight is on Joy Prime. Do make a date with us. My name is Razak Musbao, and we have more stories on myjoyonline.com. Sports segments was brought to you by Mende DBS Industries to you. Let's go to DBS Industries. Spokesperson for the new force, Shalima Abuisi, has been granted bill by a Kaneshi district court. But down here, there are hundreds of people that have come in solidarity of Shalima Abuisi. They say, as Madam Shelley done? I don't know. You don't know. Yes. But you just came. Yes. I mean, which people asked you to come? My brothers. Your brothers? Yes. So, where are they? Are they also here? Yes. What did they tell you before you followed them? They tell me, say, make I come help them to come see the Madame Shelley. Uh, but you know Madame Shelley? No. You've spoken to her before? You don't no, know. but I see her for graphic. Graphic? Yes. So that's the only place that you've seen her? Yes. So you have meeting her, what I say? Madame Shelley. Shelley. Madame Shelley. Shelley, Ophir. Oh. established to provide support and assistance to small and medium-sized enterprises in the country. But years on, have they been able to provide the required support, financial assistance, and technical support to these small and medium-sized enterprises out there? I'm talking about the Ghana Enterprises Agency. I'm privileged to engage its chief executive, Kosi Yankia, here, to, get, to track how things are fair so far over the years and whether when it comes to disbursement and supporting those SMEs out there, are they really getting the support? Madam, thank you so much for your time. It's been a while. It and, has uh, been. Is the pressure down now? No. The pressure never goes down. Really? It's Interesting. Like every day there's new pressure, there's mm. something new, there's always something up. So the pressure never goes down. But how are you doing, by the way? I'm doing very well. Mm. I'm doing well by God's grace. I, I've seen 
And in first, I thought it was just one fan when we, spe- when, we, when we first spoke. Every day I see a new fund, new disbursement, new support. Help me out and just to help my, my viewers out. Uh, when, as we speak right now, what is the status of the funds that you are managing here at the Ghana Enterprises Agency? So thank you very much. Like you said, it's been a while. Mm. Um, I think the first time we ever spoke was on the CAP business support. Mm. And over the years, a lot of things have evolved. A lot of new programs have come up. And I think it's very positive for mm. the people of Ghana, mm. especially considering the fact that we were, st- we were brought up or mm. we were created and mandated to support and strengthen micro, small, and medium enterprises. Mm. That mandate then meant that we had to come up with new innovative ways of building the capacity of Ghanaian youth, women, persons with disability, businessmen, businesswomen, across the length and breadth of the nation. Mm -hmm. So we just couldn't sit there, and I think it was a mandate that the president really took seriously Mm -hmm. because it felt and knew that the backbone of the Ghanaian economy was hinged on these MSMEs. Mm -hmm. So as much as possible, consistently we're coming up with new innovative ways and new projects. The first uh, major one that you remember was a cap business support, which then led to the transformation of the DEN National Board for Small Scale mm-hmm. Industries into the Ghana Enterprises Agency, mandated and equipped with more resources mm-hmm. to empower Ghanaian businesses. So with the cap business support, if you remember, over 300,000 businesses with men- Escuchas ese rugido. Sientes la experiencia de poder, la emoción de la libertad. Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC.